Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and in the studio today it is Gregor Robertson along with James Restall and Tom Roddy. Hello everyone, how are you all? Hello, very well, thank you. Good. Very Did you good. have a lovely Valentine's weekend? Uh, it oh. doesn't sound like <laughs> it, does it? No. Wow. No. Lack of romance here. Oh, no. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Oh, mine was all right. I got my flowers and a card, so I was quite happy. Oh, I good. did all right, so thank you very much for asking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, coming up, we're going to discuss Sean Dyche, changing room team talks and candy crush. Uh, all that to come after. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com this. Now it is the story that has rocked the world of football since it broke on Friday. Manchester City banned from playing in the Champions League for two seasons by UEFA because of serious breaches of financial regulations relating to financial fair play. Here's what we know so far then. City have been found to have overstated sponsorship revenue and break even information in accounts submitted to UEFA between 2012 and 2016. UEFA acted on the decision of the independent adjudicatory chamber of the club financial control body following a hearing held last month. This was because UEFA opened an investigation into City following a series of new allegations about the club in the media, which was led by the German magazine Der Spiegel. We should say, of course, this is all subject to an appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sports. But if the ban is upheld, City will be unable to play in Europe in the 2020-21 and 2021-22 seasons. And with City on course for a top four Premier League finish, UEFA regulations dictate their Champions League place being passed to the team which finishes fifth, a spot that is currently occupied by Tottenham. So my goodness, it was some Friday with this uh, breaking news. And the question we're now asking today is, does anyone have any sympathy for Manchester City? James? It's it's difficult because there are lots of different levels for, to this story. Um, if you're a player who's just signed for the club, I have I do have sympathy for them mm. because um, you look at you look at in rugby at what's happened with Saracens. Elliot Daly signed for them recently, um, and. He's suddenly at a club where they've been relegated and um, the futures of all the players are completely up in the air. And I think if you're if you're a Manchester City player who's signed for the club and think we'll be playing in the Champions League, we'll be having the peak of our career at one of the best clubs in England, then um, being out of that elite competition for two years is a, is a, is a, is a huge a huge deal. And and it wouldn't surprise me if if players particularly of the age of Kevin De Bruyne, who I think is 29 and is at the, at the peak of his career, hasn't won the, the Champions League yet, 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he he, he was to move on or to, or to think about moving on. So some sympathy that you have, perhaps more t- towards the players. Um, Tom, where do you stand on all of this? Yeah, I think also on the, the, the kind of flip side of that, I feel sympathy for players who have joined recently, but also ones like Phil Foden came to my mind straight away. Guys who have waited for their chance to come along and he's David Silver's heir and it's meant to be next season when he departs and all of a sudden it's he won't have that opportunity in the Champions League. And I think I have sympathy for the, the playing and coaching staff as a whole as well. I think for Guardiola, he's come in, he's he believes, you know, what, what he's been given is is all, you know, good and proper. And with these allegations, it puts the next couple of years in in jeopardy in Europe and I think the the only thing is though a a cynic might say next season it's we're always looking at Guardiola to win the Champions League at City that's the holy grail cynic might say that he can concentrate on the Premier League and challenging Liverpool and that's it and he has kind of has that excuse then doesn't he because we're not competing in in the in the Champions League. Gregor let's come to you then as as someone who's played the game we always like to say that (laughs) um but obviously, I, I mean, I echo what Tom and James have said. We have sympathy for the players and the predicament they have now found themselves in. The dream of playing in the Champions League for next season and, and the season beyond that as well. That's that's gone as things stand right now. Obviously, all pending this court of arbitration for sport appeal. Um, can can you obviously echo that as well? Yeah, I mean, the only people you have sympathy for are the players and coaching staff as the guys have said and the fans I suppose and the say. fans yeah you know, the the fans that aren't the ones that kind of the, ve- the vocal minority on social media who seem to be able to defend almost anything but the club and the hierarchy absolutely no sympathy whatsoever it's just kind of reeks of super rich who b- believe they can sort of they're above the law above the rules they can do what they want and they're essentially trying to undermine UEFA's authority and and integrity and it's it, I think it could be huge for, kind of, it could be huge ramifications for, for football in general because these are the governing bodies and they're essentially saying that, you know, they're they're act as if they were they were judge and, and ruler and and as if that's an issue that th- this is the governing body of of the game um, and there's also all sorts of sort of uh, conflicts between FIFA and UEFA and we've spoken about. At all levels of the game, there's conflicts between the governing bodies who are actually kind of financial competitors now. So I, I think it could kind of cause a real fracture in, in the way that the game is governed. I think you can argue about the legitimacy and the merit of having financial fair play rules as a thing. But if, they, if, if that's what's been agreed and this is, these are the, these are the play, this is the playing field that Manchester City are operating on, they've got to comply to the rules. And so I, I, don't, have, I don't have sympathy with the club. For um, and and the hierarchy because they they knew the rules they knew what they were signing up to and um, and you know the, the the content of the of the of the evidence that um, appeared in Der Spiegel um, did look quite damning mm-hmm. um, about what the club had done so um, so yeah. this whole debate about financial fair play itself though now mm. and it's kind of merits it's very the merits of its very existence which they almost argue, basically argue there are none I mean. I just can't understand. There are a lot of people, a lot of kind of journalists, a lot of you know people, people whose whose views I, I would hold kind of great weight in are saying that financial fair play has no has no merit. So it's sort of entrenching an elite. But I mean, what's the alternative? We're just untrammeled spending by Gulf states and oligarchs. I, I can't I can't understand how people are suggesting that 
financial play, fair play has no merits. Yes, it's hard to break into the elite Manchester of, of show, Manchester City have shown, although they've made a pretty good job of it. But I, I, I can't see how the financial fair play. It's not perfect, but you know, football clubs in this country, especially, you look at Bournemouth, Sheffield United, Burnley. It's, these clubs can. Can, they're still fairy tale stories. Leicester City is a, another example. Obviously, I don't think I don't think that we're we're the the right kind of country to be to be complaining about the the, the sort of one percent, the rich one percent, the elite. We await to see if there's going to be any more ramifications as a result of this situation with Manchester City and UEFA. But there has been, and obviously this will be away from Manchester City, there have been other clubs and other people suggesting maybe um, that they should be stripped of the titles that they have won during this four-year period. We'd certainly know it would be the 2013-14 Premier League title uh, that would have to be stripped if this was to happen. Is that too harsh for you, Tom? Are we really going to go down that route? I, th- I think it is too harsh because, again, we've just been talking about the the uh, the, the playing and coaching staff who um, who would be the ones who probably feel that the most, wouldn't they? Mm. Um, again, you get the likes of of Stephen Gerrard watching on, um, Brendan Rodgers watching on, Jose you know jo- Jose Mourinho <laughs> speaking about it yesterday, and. I don't. I don't know if it makes a it makes a big enough difference, and I think the punishment is far too too harsh. It's a difficult one because I look at it from the perspective of the clubs that have lost out, mm. and you and you mentioned Gerard, and and you know he never won the Premier League as a as a player. What was the one major trophy that eluded him at club mm. level? Um, but would you would you actually want to now have on your record kind of that you were a Premier League? champion even though you didn't have that moment where you're standing in front of the cop lifting the trophy aloft um and and it'll be like an asterisk by manchester city a little asterisk an asterisk by manchester city but also the other the other thing as well on the flip side for the liverpool owners they'd be able to say you know they'll win the title this year they will have won it in 2014 they'll be able to say yeah two you know two two premier league wins um I don't know what that would be worth commercially. I'd look at former you look at former players like like Gerard who um who could then legitimately call themselves Premier League champions. So it's um it's a huge it's a, it's a really it's a, it's a, it's a really difficult one. Um I think the the FFP threshold in the Premier League regulations is higher than UEFA's so um we'll wait and see what sanctions the Premier League do impose. Um and, uh, but I, I'm not sure how much of an appetite there would be to strip, to, mm. to actually take titles away. I can see, I can see them getting a points deduction, Manchester City. Yeah. But I, but I can't see, I, I couldn't see, sort of retrospective action. Mm. Well, Stephen Gerrard has said this. Um, if you look at the severity of the punishment from UEFA, something has gone badly wrong. So I'm really interested to see the outcome of that. Until I get the punishment though from the Premier League, I won't comment further. But I'm really, really interested in it. For obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, Gregor, does it in some way surprise you? I mean, obviously, as rightly pointed out, Stephen Gerrard's never won the Premier League, so he could, if things were to go terribly wrong for Manchester City, uh, end up with a, a Premier League winner's medal. But are you surprised, really, that Stephen Gerrard would want that in that circumstance? I don't know. I mean, only I think only you could answer how sort of deep the pain and the agony was for him of that of that loss and how you know we're talking about fairly small margins and for someone who never won the 
won the competition, obviously it wouldn't be that an ideal way for him to end mm. up with a honours medal. But I mean, I think we're getting quite far ahead of ourselves here. I'd be amazed if if that if anything like that happened. Um, I think City should be punished if they're if they're found to be guilty, because otherwise these rules are absolutely pointless. It's, you know, we're seeing the same so thing. So what would be a fitting punishment? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people think that they've given them the two-year ban because it allows the sort of wiggle room to be able to reduce it to one year. And I think one year would be a statement enough, really. Um, but nothing within the Premier League, punishment-wise? Um, I don't know. It's very difficult because, you know, you kind of look at what's what's going on in the Championship, Um and the thing is, it has has sort of ramifications. There's a knock-on effect as well, and it kind of teams that are dropped down the league, and it saves other teams from relegation and things like that. You know, it's, there's it's, there's a whole sort of bigger picture to look at. I don't I don't know really if that would be the same as a as a hit in the pocket and the kind of the humiliation almost of being banned from European football, which is really which is what they've been aiming for for this time all this time. If you wanted to be if you wanted to take a cynical look at it, you could say that the Premier League could come in with a hefty points deduction this season. They're out of the running for the title. They've already, they already now know they're not going to be in the Champions League next season. And it would make the Premier League look at least a little bit neater and tidier at the end of the season where you have a top four that qualify there on their own merit. <laughs> on their own merit. Um, so, just so it looks nice. So it just so, so, but then you don't have the you know you don't have the kind of the big asterisk that kind of goes oh well fifth place is in the Champions League this year. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to have a really cynical look at it, that could be and that could be a, a neat solution for the Premier League here. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But we should also discuss the futures of Guardiola and the Manchester City players. We know that uh, Pep Guardiola is a contract at the club until twenty twenty one, and we understand he has been kept informed by the club throughout this whole process. So it will be business as usual for the time being. There has, of course, already been speculation about Guardiola's long-term future and an absence of Champions League football for one of the world's top coaches who has not won the competition for nine years since his time with Barcelona surely will come into his thinking. But having said that, there are reports that Pep Guardiola has spoken to his City players and he has said this, and this is going on, the conversation we just had about the possible ramifications domestically um, about what could happen if the Premier League were to step in. Supposedly, Pep Guardiola has said this, whatever league we are in, I will still be here. Even if they put us in League Two, I will still be here. This is a time for sticking together. So he sounds as though he's very unified in staying and wants to still be the Manchester City manager, Tom. But do you really believe that? I found it remarkable, really. Um, I, and I think the there's this not quite constant, but this this flirtation with with Italian football and the prospect. I mean, he that's what he does. He comes in, he changes the way teams and and in our case, countries um, and coaches play and want to play. And and he's done that here. Um, the there are there are always going to be kind of challenges, and the ch- challenge for him was to to rebuild that Manchester City side um, and squad. I I don't think he'd have ever expected this to be in the way to go about it. And I think, like we said for the past ten minutes about this, it's it's all going to be kind of his future is going to be dependent on on what the outcome is, how players react as well. Um, 
but you can you uh, I've I've always thought he's looked tired before all of this I thought he looked tired anyway and that he was I could see a sabbatical coming well win the Champions League this season James and it pretty much is job done for Pep Guardiola mm. at Manchester City but if they don't win Obviously, they'll have to wait until the 2022-23 uh, season. And who knows if Pep Guardiola will be there? Yeah, I mean, he's never been at a club more than four seasons, I think. Um, just going back on the previous thing, I hope they're not in League Two because uh, <laughs> next season, because then um, that makes Leighton Orient's promotion push <laughs> much harder. Um, oh, but think of the final at Wembley. It'd be tremendous. Well, uh, well, uh, journeyman call them from the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'd love that. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I think there's so much pressure on this Champions League game next week mm. so much pressure uh, and we were already saying in podcasts earlier this season that man there are big issues of Manchester City's defense they're not scoring as often as they as they as they have done earlier in the season it's 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 really it's really difficult and now this pressure's even more ratcheted up we've um uh, I think UEFA confirmed yesterday that they're going to they are going to play the anthem at the Etihad, so that so that'll be met with oh, a, a, probably a bigger chorus of boos than it ever has done. Yes. Um, there's so much there, there's there's so much riding on this game for for City and Guardiola. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see what happens. So that's the manager's take. What about the the players? Um, the absence of Champions League football may also be too much for some of them to take and they'll all be considering their futures. Greg, well, let's come to you then as, as as a player, former player. I don't know why I always say that. I should really stop, shouldn't I? But anyway, as someone who has played the game, do you have any loyalty to a club? It's very rare. Yeah. Very rare. I know like, supporters don't like to hear that, but loyalty is a very, very rare thing in football. Um, Especially nowadays. There may have been a time. Yeah. Yeah. I think really... Be brutally honest. If they, if these players are going to get offer of of more money or of a better chance to wear to win silverware, uh, then they're going to take it at least explore it. Um, and you know, as James alluded to, there there are players who are kind of entering their prime, and two years out of your prime is potentially you know it's quite it's quite a long time, and mm. and also you don't know the kind of the more long long term ramifications for the club and whether their finances will become a little bit more straightened. Whether playing other... Leighton Orient in League Two. <laughs> well, I think that would be there would be an exodus then. Yeah. <laughs> so no, the answer is no. There's no loyalty. I think if if uh, if players see a better opportunity to win something, they'll go elsewhere. Well, let's be a little bit naughty and talk about a couple of players then, and and work out whether or not you think they should stay or go. If this is upheld, this um, ban for two seasons uh, by UEFA and Manchester City. Let's start with uh, their main man, Sergio Aguero. He turns 32 in June. Will he stay or will he go, Tom? I think the temptation would be to go because he's not won the Champions League yet. I'm sure pretty much all those European clubs <laughs> would want him in their side. Um I think he's one of the best players the Premier League has ever has ever seen. Um, he's he's a, he's a, he is one of I think he's one of the few loyalists though. Gregor was kind of referring to, him, so I think he'll stay actually, or he would mm. stay. I mean, he's been at the club for a very very long mm. time, and Mancini, Pellegrini, now Guardiola, building their teams around him. Does he owe Manchester City anything for that reason? No. <laughs> I mean, he, he, no. I mean, he uh, he's. He's given so much to that club. He's 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 been a, a talismanic striker. He's had to reinvent a large part of his game to stay and fight to be 
the main man in 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 Pep Guardiola's team. Um, I think his future should be totally on his terms, and the club should give him whatever he wants. I mean, he's probably if we, you know we can't get into this debate now, but there's a very strong case for him being the best foreign import to the mm. English leagues ever. Um, he's got 200 Premier League goals in his sights, which um, only Rooney and Shearer have done before since 1992. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, he can. He can. Uh, to me, Aguero can do whatever he wants. <laughs> but more go than stay. I don't. I, I think it's up to him. I, I totally think it's up well, to him. Well, it will and, be up to him. No, of course, it, of course it would. But I think. But I think it's. Uh, if if he did choose to go, I don't think anyone could have any complaints. Yeah. And I think he's served that club brilliantly. Okay, um, Gregor Gabriel Jesus still only twenty-two would become City's number one striker, of course, if Aguero was to leave. Stay or go. I think he's someone who probably would stay. Um, I think actually the, the the players who would be most likely to go are their very best players and he's not quite in that bracket so you're looking at Sterling and De Bruyne I think Aguero he's not won the Champions League I think he'd be if there was an opportunity to do so I think he would probably take it so I think really outside that that bracket of the city's very best players who obviously they would want to keep hold of the most but that would be their, their biggest assets to get the, big, the most money for them um, so I think Jesus would be someone who who will be hanging around. And Tom, what about Phil Foden? Then you mentioned him earlier on how you have sympathy for him. Ugh, only nineteen. Um, obviously, if there were some big name players leaving Manchester City, that would give Phil Foden a huge chance. But does he need Champions League football for his development? I I don't think particularly. I just think he needs to be playing week in, week out. Um, and in that case, even though I'm saying it's a shame, it would be a shame that his his first season or what we believe will be his first season playing regularly wouldn't include Champions League football. I think he he should stay, partly because otherwise the it just seems ridiculous to have waited all that time you know I think I I would suspect there would be doubt in his mind anyway um, about whether he should have possibly moved on seeing Jaden Sancho do what he's done um, and so I think I think he'd need to stay and and it would be an opportunity if the, all this kind of fell out in the way we're talking about it would be an opportunity for him to really cement his him his himself as one of the best in that position. I also, I don't think, if I, if I if I remember correctly, I don't think Raheem Sterling's first few years at Liverpool were they weren't Champions League regulars at that time. I don't think it's the be all and end all to to be playing in the Champions League at mm-hmm. that age. I think actually it could work in his favour next season if they aren't in the Champions League. You alluded to this earlier, and they've got a, a, a free crack at the Premier League. Um, it, 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 there's there's sort of there's fewer there's you know there's there's probably a bigger break between games. He can be managed a bit better. I think. I think it's a, you know, I think it's actually a good opportunity for him, especially with David Silva um, mm. leaving at the end of the season. More likely, though, is that there'll be a battle in the courts for about the next decade, yes. and nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they're still playing de- Champions League football. <laughs> it's just depressing, really. You know, I, th- I think it kind of sh- shining a light on the sort of murky side of of elite football at the moment, and and it's a bit kind of distasteful. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Really? Now, the Burnley manager, Sean Dyche, has revealed comments in the Southampton programme boosted the motivation of his players before kickoff at St Mary's on Saturday. A superb strike by the substitute, Matej Vidra, clinched a 2-1 success on the South Coast to make it three victories from four Premier League games for Dyche's men. When discussing the win, Dyche pointed out, ironically, the Southampton programme said, Sheffield United have played more long balls than us, and yet... They are definitely not long balls, but I'm not really worried about it. And I know Chris Wilder is not a good technical analysis in their program. He said, I quite enjoyed that. I told the lads and said, there you go. This is what they think of you. And it is always lovely when they give you that little edge to work on. I love that. He finally finished off by saying, before a game, all the preparation is done. So I just sit there playing Candy Crush to like level a million. (laughs) So, uh, have we ever criticised someone and, and lived to regret it, James? Um, I'd like to, to say a brief story from um, <laughs> a time with a former employer where um, I, I commissioned a piece uh, after Tottenham had lost three games, sort of analysing where they'd gone wrong. And I think the headline I, I put on it at the end was something along the lines of, is Pochettino losing his magic touch? And they got to the Champions League final. Oh. So um, it was, was, it, was it was a bit, it was, yes, it was one of those moments with hindsight that was a, a, a bad decision. But um, <laughs> but but yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't say live to regret it, but you, you always learn from it, don't you? <laughs> you certainly do, that is for sure. But you say that, but yet we find ourselves in this situation quite a lot. When you say something and you regret it instantly or as in the case of the the program writers they probably regretted it when they hear what Sean Dyche made uh, of what was written in the Southampton program but it is something that infuriates me when people will write something uh, trying to give their own team the edge and yet it backfires or even like football chants mm. I mean goodness me that infuriates me more than anything I just think be quiet stop singing about the other team for example why do we do it Gregor we know it's going to backfire more often than not yeah I I've actually been in uh, Charlie Taylor's position as well. Okay. Um, I remember this. It's when I was reading this, I instantly remember it's only happened to me once. But reading the program and it's saying that the the left back, i.e. me, Uh-oh. could be got at. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Hang on a minute, and I remember the game vividly. Wow. It was Watford at Vicarage Road when I was at Nottingham Forest, and this is showing my age. Sean Dyche was playing for Watford. Oh. <laughs> oh. I looked that up this morning. Gosh. So. And we spoke about it before the game, you know, we had a laugh about uh, people kind of ribbed you a wee bit. It was only my, like, I think it was like my 15th game for Forrest. Um, but it jeez you up, I was raging. And yeah. on the basis of 14 games, well, yeah, you know, they'd like, said that you could be got at. They maybe thought this teenager has been thrown in left back. Ah, uh, yeah, but did they Did they get you? Yeah. No, we drew one all. So it's not like <laughs> I had a, you know, we didn't win 5 0 because of the rage from the, <laughs> the programmers. But um, I was angry. 
and it, wor- it, it, it works, it's true. Football careers are based on <laughs> fear. Fear of like letting people down, teammates, family, coaches, all that. And proving people wrong. Either proving people who've doubted you wrong or proving that you're good enough to play at but, that level and be in that, that stage. So, But the person that wrote that about you, they weren't writing it to fire you up. They were writing it to put you down. So why would they do it? Because they know more often than not you're going to want to try and prove them wrong. Well, obviously they didn't. <laughs> They're not thinking that way. They're just thinking about their their, their analysis or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, this always happens. There's so many times I've seen managers who pin things up on the mm. changing room. Often, almost often, at the start of every season, you'll get a, a play for one manager who would put up a prediction, the prediction leagues from like uh, betting companies and stuff. And if you're down the bottom bottom half, then all season you see that's what they thought of you, and mm. and you you want to better that. So mm. you know there's. People always do that. They kind of little mind game, psychological advantages. Mm. I just remember going to a club uh, towards the end of a season and seeing going around their training ground and seeing that they'd put the bottom half of the league table up there, and they were in the bottom three or the bottom four, and and they'd and 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 they kind of used it and said one, and it was like one win puts you here, and it was kind of it was a sort of using the league table as a motivational tool. Yeah, yeah. And which I mean, if it had been me, I wouldn't want it to be reminded every day that I was in the in the relegation zone. But but I can I can see how it works. Did that team get out of it? No. Oh, <laughs> I remember something with your team as well. It's sort of along the same lines of uh, Mr. Hearn, where he'd uh, oh, Leighton Orient. He, yes. He's the start of a season. He went in and he put a map on the wall, and he, I think he knew that he thought ninety points would get automatic promotion, so he put ninety dots between there and Las Vegas and oh, he had a toy plane and he said yes. to the captain only you can touch this yep. <laughs> every time you get points move it forward so they moved it all up they got yep. to Wembley and they lost in the playoff finals but but they still got the Vegas trip they got the Vegas trip yeah. do you know what now you've said that I think I was in Vegas when they were there because I think I remember <laughs> how funny anyway uh, Tom any stories well, you I, can tell us I was actually just thinking that I'm not surprised you're infuriated by it because it got me thinking about the Brentford game last mm. week mm. Thomas Frank saying about them fearing needing to fear Leeds needed to fear Brentford and it didn't quite backfire totally but that was the best I'd seen Leeds play for a while so yeah no I mean it probably did work in some ways to mm. their advantage but if you can't be fired up for a game anyway without mm. having to read into what the opposition is saying I think, that's I think it's, not a, that great. it's a gamble isn't it when you do yeah. that sort of thing it's a complete gamble and it it, it it can go either way. Um, I don't think it's a surefire thing. <laughs> After all the publicity, Inter-Miami is set to make its MLS debut on March the 1st when the season returns. David Beckham heads up the ownership group, of course, and has been busy revealing video plans online of their proposed new stadium, though it won't actually be ready until 2022. Including, though, in the new stadium, it will be a 25,000 all-seater, including a single-tier wall behind one of the goals. There'll be palm trees, what would you expect, it's Miami, and a bar on the roof, all at a cost of a cool £750 million. Now, sadly, we haven't got a spare £750 million to build a game podcast stadium, but if we were given the chance to start our own football club, what would it look like? Our panel have been busy putting together their own plan for their own dream club. So let's see what they have come up with. Will it be a glitz and glamour superpower in the sun managed by possibly 
soon to be out of work Pep Guardiola with billions to spend in pursuit of world domination or are you a bit more of a purist preferring a non-league heroes arena with just a few hundred hardcore watching on as the big man up front secures another gritty 1-0 win so this is what I want from you all Tom, James and Gregor your club name your motto your playing style and also your five year plan and let's start with you James what have you got for us Um, so I live in Clapham in South London um Mm -hmm. A, uh, a, a part of London known for Clapham Junction uh, railway station. So I'm going for Locomotive Clapham. Oh. Um, the the motto, uh, again, sort of sticking to the railway route, but also an indication of our desire and our relentless quest to be the best. Our motto is simply, no passengers. Um, oh, this is the, um, great. I was hoping for a choo-choo or something, no, but no passengers. No, 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 no passengers. Um, and it would be, it, the, the Latin is non viatores. That would be on the crest. So we'd have oh, we'd have that there. Um Playing style, um, just direct. We'll just be direct. <laughs> nice. Um, and you know, I might, I might, I might not succeed with this approach, but I would ask Mr. Dyche if he'd like to come and, and okay. manage the club. So it's not the prettiest style. No, goodness okay, no, fine, goodness fine. no, no. It's just very functional, um, efficient, and uh, and 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 hopefully a, a, a style of football that will will yield results. Um, in terms of the five-year plan, though, um, rather like uh, a railway project, I think it'll probably be over budget, it'll probably be delayed, <laughs> and uh, we'll probably won't, emit, uh, won't hit any of our targets. So um, <laughs> there we are. Wow. I'm not sure many are going to be able to better. James is, uh, was it Locomotive Junction? Locomotive Clapham. Sorry, Locomotive Clapham. Is that Locomotive with a K or a C? With a K. Nice. I like that. A la, a la Moscow. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, the European... Well, style inspired by well. Inter Miami. I like it. Good. Okay, Tom. What's I, I think yours? I'm going to disband my idea and join Locomotive <laughs> Clapham, to be honest. It sounded very appealing. <laughs> my my team is called, uh, it could be based anywhere, but the Rutland Rovers. Oh. And, yep. And we are joining the Isle of Scilly Football League. Okay. And the reason is because, unlike Arsenal finishing fourth every year, we would guarantee finishing third. Because, of course, there are only two teams in the Isle of Silly Lee. Okay. So, if you think first year finishing third is pretty pretty impressive, I'd, Not bad. I'd say. And I'm afraid the, the motto is more of a mission statement. Um, it is, we fly in the face of conventional thinking and take pride in disrupting <laughs> the status quo. That's... Okay. It, it, that on a crest. Yeah, I was well, going to say, that's not going anywhere but near it's also, a crest. It's also... Um, it's also may have come from into Miami's website. Um, <laughs> but I think, I, I think they're, they're slightly busy at the moment dealing with their own issues yeah. with, uh, with plagiarism. Um, <laughs> so, and our playing style would be, um, uh, again, we're, we're thieving from uh, the Red Bull uh, style we're going for, 2-2-2. Because oh. I just I just love it. Um, oh, and we, we're going to spend most of the budget on bringing Edward Wood to Rutland Rovers for <laughs> commercial reasons. <laughs> and uh, the, most of the rest would be spent bringing Alan Kerbishley. Alan Kerbishley. Alan Kerbishley. It's about time he's yes. back in the game. Well, I just, I'm sick of seeing him on those when managers get sacked <laughs> and he's at the bottom of the... the betting. The, the, yeah, I know. Exactly. Alan Kerbishley. We don't see him anymore, really, on the, even on You will soon at the Rutland Rovers. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. There you are. Next guest on this podcast, Alan Kerbishley, 18 to 1. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be, a, uh, it'll be a Glenn Tamplin style as well. I'll be owner and manager for the first season, though, so... <laughs> Oh, well, what happened to Curbs? 
He's coming next year. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. I might have to fight you for a corpse, though. Yeah? Team, yeah. Whoa, okay, Greg, I want to hear it. <laughs> I'm setting up a kind of retirement team slash social club for uh, ex-pros. Okay. Um, we, we Does might, this we, exist we already? Train. We'll just play on a Saturday. Uh, oh. Called FC Fossils. Oh. Um, Mottos over the hill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we're definitely route one because we're not mobile. So I'm thinking of get Cascarino back and putting him up front. Um... And Curbs, Curbs could be the gaffer, to be fair. You know, he's been out of the game a long time. I think there's there's room for, like, sponsorship with, kind of, retirement homes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Saga, something like yeah, that. Yeah, continence sure. pants, things like that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a proper old fogies. Um, yeah. Social club. And does there have to be a, a minimum age? Well, I think early days, it can be... It's, it's going to be, like, over 50s. So, I'm the, so you can't even play in this. No, Gregor. I'm the I'm the gaffer, the owner, like Tampa. Okay, as well. right. Um, but then as we progress, we'll probably lower the age. Maybe that always over thirty five though. Yes. No one, no one younger than thirty five. I'd actually seen some early analysis of this team, and apparently you can get the left back. So FC fossils, Rutland Rovers, and Locomotive Clapham. Well done. That was good. I think, though, if I'm going to favour anyone, it's going to be Locomotive Clapham. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it. Right. Do you know what we're going to do? We're going to finish our pod today with a quiz. Producer Max has done some of his fiendish work and found some interesting trivia for us. So, eight players have played for both Chelsea and Manchester United in the Premier League. Two may be obvious, too easy. Max suggests there's three that are tough and then one he says is very hard. So there are eight names to get. So I'd like you to all help out and come up with the eight names. So anyone want to come in with a, a first one? Well, Matter and Matic very are the good. first obvious ones. I'm going to go Lukaku. Oh, lovely. Good, good. This is this is good. These are the first three that Max had written. So you had the two obvious ones, Matic and Matic. Then you have Lukaku. Striker that came from Monaco. Oh, Falcao. Oh, very Falcao. good. Yes, that's again part of the easy. Throw a Mark Bosnich into the mix. Yes, oh, very good. Yeah, he moved from Manchester United to Chelsea in 2001. Uh, Veron. Yes, yeah, very good. So Chelsea paid United £15 million for him, but he actually made seven Premier League appearances. Sparky, Mark Hughes. Very good. So that was a 1995 transfer. Do you know how much he cost? Oh, to Chelsea? Yeah. From United. Two million? According to Max, a million. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right, there's one more, which is the tough one. Oh. Yeah, this is not, this is a tough one. Would it give it away if we had some, had a, had an era clue? Um, around the same sort of time as Mark Hughes. Hmm. Oh. Gregor, you're very quiet. It's, just, yeah, it's not like you. Things we don't have Alison going, put <laughs> <laughs> she was very quick. Uh, would we be able to have a position? Possibly. We could go with a defender. Mm. Oh, is it French defender? No. No. no I'm struggling here. Yeah, well, he made over 100 appearances for Manchester United in the early 90s and actually didn't move to Stamford Bridge until 1997. In between that, he played for Derby, Sheffield United and Fulham. Also played for QPR and Fulham before his move to Old Trafford. So two spells at, at Fulham. Played for England 19 times. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, goodness me. It's a tough one, isn't it? Do you want me to give you... How about if you had a pen 
right? You know you can get some really nice pens, some really flashy pens. Oh, is it Paul Parker? Paul Parker! <laughs> 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 Who knew that would give it away? <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Indeed, Paul Parker. As I say, he had uh, spells in between his um, time at Manchester United and, and Chelsea, but uh, made four Premier League appearances, that's all. Chelsea in 1997 there you go not bad don't take us too long so well done uh, that is it for now many thanks to our guests today James Restall and Tom Roddy remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet it is just a pound a week for an eight week trial search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.